G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel. The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Well, good evening, everybody, and a special good evening to our guest this evening, Gemma. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. Now, before we get too deep into the podcast, just to give a brief um, description of your good self is that, and for those who don't know Gemma, Gemma Dunn is an internationally competitive shooter, which actually means you're the best shot we've ever had on here, by the way. Straight up. Well, it's true. Let's, let's, let's not pretend, guys. Let's not pretend. <laughs> I'll see you in this, okay? And oh, since 2018, you've also uh, been part of the editorial team with SSAA Publications, which is uh, the magazine that I generally write for when they publish my work. We won't dwell on that. And you're also a membership development manager uh, for SSAA and even part of their coaching team. Is that all true and correct? Yeah, yeah. It is a quite a broad umbrella. Um, basically, my role within the SSAA is to increase um, the enjoyment and the engagement with women and juniors um, within the sport. So to do that, um, I do it a multifaceted approach through the Women's Shooter magazine, through um, coaching pathways, and just through general um, management structure to, to help facilitate growth for women and juniors, like essentially. Yeah. Yeah, you win. You, you, you are. The, I'm going to say you are the most accomplished guest we've had so far. Oh. <laughs> which, which will actually get a lot of other people angry. But that's okay. This will come out in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, you, you haven't yeah. said. You, so before least, we jump at, into that at least, stuff, at least you didn't say you're the second person that's not in the grumpy old man category, because that that did uh, get a few people going. <laughs> that did. But I. It was funny that when I said that, a lot of older guys said, hey, we're not going to be old men. I thought, maybe you're missing complaining. <laughs> you might be missing the point there, guys. So <laughs> before we dive into that, I will do a quick around the traps. And, uh, Gemma, you're more than welcome to jump into this. This is That's, um, that's Mark's first pun of the night, by the way. Mm, don't get me started <laughs> on <laughs> that. Okay. 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 <laughs> so um, I'm going to lead off a uh, couple of really important things happening. One is our forthcoming – Northern Territory Buffalo trip. Can't wait. Um, there will be lots more details about that in the next week or two or something like that when we get around it. But in three months, 90 days, airfare's already booked. We're going to Northern Territory with um, Brian Boyle, who was a previous guest on the podcast and invited us to come up there, and we've actually accepted, so away we go. Um, and the other, I think, even more exciting thing is being that uh, I just got what this weekend it's not supposed to rain. Oh yeah, Brisbane. I believe so. I'm not sure if that's real or if they're just pretending, but supposedly we will see the sun for a couple of hours this weekend. <laughs> um, it is just it's, ra- it's, 
It's raining here at the moment. It's raining. Oh, just, just <laughs> horrible. What even is the sun? Honestly. Yeah, we yeah. had. I think uh, I'm going to get the statistic wrong, but um, my wife said the other day that on average we've had less than three hours worth of sunlight per day for three months where I am. It's just been so wet, overcast, foggy, crazy. We've never seen anything like this. But anyway, it's good the, the ground's replenished and, and, and one things more are growing. I've already, yep. bought a, I've already bought myself a new knife for um, the north, which we'll talk about some other time. Excellent. Another knife. Yes. Another one. Yes. <laughs> oh. Okay, over to you, gents. Well, I'll go uh, Northern Territory. It is uh, an interesting... Uh, trip that we've booked so um, now we're just madly into gear refinement because you know it's hot and we're talking about 30 kilometer walks and we're talking about you know some pretty interesting conditions up there and so it's now is my pack light enough you know should I be looking at something that can carry meat should I be talking about something that can just carry the bare essentials and go as light as possible like it's a real unknown for for most of us. So I think for all of us, we haven't really experienced those sorts of conditions. No. I went up there maybe three years ago, um, got my ass kicked and came home because uh, it was just so mm -hmm. hot. Um, wrong time of year for it, but that's just what it is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, the biggest problem I've got right now is there is just not enough buffalo hunting YouTube videos to watch. It's not going to keep me entertained between now and August, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking at what I can find. So it's going to be a great trip. Really looking forward to it. And we'll hopefully bring as much of it as we can to the um, Hunters Campfire TV component of what we do, which is really cool. Um, weather? Yeah, weather. It has been raining. And um, thanks to Jono and Mark and other things, the new Zolio device is telling me that it's not going to rain tomorrow. So this is great. I love this toy. Um, we won't go into it now. But um, all I can say, Jono, there's something you probably didn't talk about when you um showcase it a couple of weeks back it's so easy to set up yeah absolutely. like it's literally yeah, click click great. go and you're done yeah. you've got your phone absolutely. number your email address i've sent a message off to my wife and tested it and it all works so unreal so yeah absolutely anyway i think it's a great device absolutely mm. yeah. glad you jumped on board yeah i think it, even in camp or around hunts i think it will make things easier to communicate if things are going on around the place so yeah no looking forward to using it and putting it through its paces. The other thing that's really exciting for us, for me, for us, uh, for that trip to the NT is um, we'll be putting a bit of a showcase on Beretta's new BRX-1 rifle. Mm -hmm. um, so that's coming into, into camp with us and we'll put that through its paces. Um, be really interesting to see how the straight pull um, uh, platform goes with lots of dust and, and nasty conditions. But uh, it's going to be exciting to play with that. So let's see how that goes. I'm sure we'll all have some fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely keen to see that BRX. It certainly looks like a great rifle. Uh, for myself, obviously, very keen for the NT trip. I've been thinking about that constantly. Been looking at online, trying to find videos after you said that. And all I came across was African buffalo hunting, watching some of the charges of that and seeing guys get taken down by, by buffalo. So um, <laughs> obviously... Being a being an African myself, or from from South Africa originally, obviously Cape Buffalo is the is the pinnacle of buffalo hunting. Um, but pretty keen to get amongst those um, those Asiatic buffalo up there in the NT. Really, you know, that's been one of my dream trips. So for that to be coming true, I can't can't wait for that. 
So, yeah, just down to gear refinement at the moment, really just, you know, understanding what we can take on the plane, what, you know, what we can carry from a, from a weight perspective um, and just can't wait to get up there. So really, really keen for that trip. So, yep, I think uh, it'll dominate our conversation for for the next couple of months, that's for sure. Hmm. I'm going to use that opportunity to throw one at Gemma straight oh, away, wow. if I can. So questions without notice, because we don't give any notice. Um, we usually don't do questions. We get a lot of these. We get a lot of questions that come to us actually um, from the podcast. How you go about certain things, especially with travelling with firearms. Now, in your world, this is going to be a massive part of what you do. Um, I've done a bit of it uh, nationally and internationally, um, but the rules do change, and I'm not even sure what's current these days. Let's put the international part of your world on hold for a second and talk about traveling nationally with firearms. What is your experience with various different airlines and um, expectations from airlines and the process that you go through to safely travel with firearms around the country? Yeah, so it is a really, um, it's a huge topic, obviously, when you're traveling so much um, that doesn't actually get a lot of coverage. So I'm really glad you asked this question because, as you said, internationally and domestically are, are very different. Obviously, flying domestically with your firearm is... 10 times easier than flying internationally with a firearm. Um, you've just got to be aware of certain airlines' policies in terms of travelling with firearms and what they deem in what they deem as a firearm and ammunition and how to um, transport it safely and, you know, the locking mechanisms and what cases you have and all that sort of stuff. So generally within Australia, it's pretty unified, which is good. Um, there are certain airlines I found in my history of traveling that are easier to deal with than others. Um, obviously, Tiger Air, part of their policy, I'm not sure if it's changed in the last two years. Obviously, I haven't traveled with my firearm or traveled at all in the last two years. Um, but Tiger Air flat out refused to allow you to fly with firearms um right from my from my history um so yeah never book tiger air if you're planning on going on a trip with your gun um virgin i always found was second best to travel with firearms they they can be a little wishy-washy when you come up to the desk in terms of what they're asking so you have to be really aware of their policies regardless of what air yeah. airline you're flying with but so make sure you're the expert in traveling firearms don't leave it up to the airline <laughs> yep. especially the people at desk um because it, you get mixed messages every time you go um so virgin are pretty good i i used to travel with firearms and ammunition um it's a lot harder to fly with firearms and ammo. So mm. if you can avoid flying with ammo altogether, it just makes it a lot easier. Um, but overall, I found Qantas to be the best to deal with. Their policy is pretty straightforward. I actually keep a copy of their policy with me on my phone at all times. And it states that, especially with baggage allowance, it always comes up. So if you're traveling with your firearm, your gun case and the gun doesn't actually fall under needing to be in the same bag as everything else that you get to a desk and they often say, well, you have two bags. I need to charge you for two bags. One being a firearm, one being your clothing. Um, and it's actually in their policy that you're allowed to travel two separate bags. If you're traveling with a firearm, um, as long as the accumulative weight falls mm. under 
what your allowance is. And, so, and this is the big difference between nas uh, national national flights and international flights because I always book a second bag to go to New Zealand with firearms, and I always have a spare bag allowance because they don't count the weight and they don't count the bag when we fly with Air New Zealand over to you know over to New Zealand to to play over there. Um, I wasn't sure what they did here. You've you've answered that really well with with Qantas. What's do you know the policy around that topic for for Virgin? I'm fairly sure. Like I said, once I realised Qantas were pretty good, I nearly always book with them for that yeah. reason. Um, I couldn't even tell you the last time I flew with Virgin with my gun, but they certainly. It seems to differ. They certainly don't. It's not as clear cut. Um, but I find, from memory, I think it's very similar to Qantas. If it falls under the baggage allowance total, with yeah. it being a special baggage item, then um, I'm fairly sure they do like it to be separate. But don't quote me on Virgin because it's been a long, long no, no. time. That's okay. Um, but, the, but yeah, just... it's really important because I've had so many athletes, fellow athletes, um, you know, lots of people who have gone to the desk and particularly with Qantas and they've gone to charge them an extra bag um, when technically as long as it's under your 22 kilos or your 30 kilos or whatever it is, mm. um, you're allowed to travel with a separate bag for your firearm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So, like, that's the, the biggest thing is just make sure you've got the policy with you and you're across that because you'll often go to the desk and they'll automatically go to charge for your second bag. Um, and then you can say, well, no, this is your policy. And if you don't have it with you, they do tend to want to argue the point a little more and they bring their manager in and all that stuff. Um, but generally, if if you tell them what the policy is, they're generally, oh, okay, all right. And then yeah. they'll, they'll okay. process so it. The, the other trick that I learned um, early on with flying with them, and, and I used to fly for competition stuff in Australia as well, um was you call the airline before you go and you advise them that you're ticketing with a firearm and then they note it on your file and the people at the desk look up and say oh <laughs> he's already spoken he, you know and it, it helps yeah. with your your evidence argument i guess yeah. yeah um on that note i'm pretty sure virgin you do actually have to notify that like you have to notify them beforehand you have to get a permit from them um so, yeah, that that was part of the process from memory that you had to get a permit with Virgin. With Qantas, you didn't. You could turn up on the day, which is what I always did. I never called ahead with Qantas um, and say, I've got a competition firearm. I have a separate bag for my competition firearm. I'm not travelling with ammunition. And then they will go through their check-in process. Um, they'll put the yellow tape around your firearm and they'll put your clothes bag on the conveyor belt and then they'll ask you to take your firearm down to special baggage um, to drop that off. So, and then on the other, and they tag it as well. And then on the other end, you'll um, go to, you'll get your bag, your normal bag on the carousel, and then you'll go to baggage services to pick up your firearm. Then they'll generally ask to cite your license as ID to match the, the tag on the on the firearm as well so it's pretty straightforward but with virgin i'm fairly sure you do need a, a paper permit as well which you can used to be able to apply for them online but again i'm very rusty with virgin so hmm. that's all right yeah we'll make oh. a phone call we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're booked with virgin, virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Um, they were they were fantastic. It's just sometimes you know the whole permit thing was always a bit of a muddy waters. But Virgin, Qantas and Virgin are always the better ones. But yeah, never. Don't even try to go with Tiger. Yeah, they they just cha- they change those rules all the time, which is the thing that makes it difficult. The yep. first time I flew with Virgin, you needed that paper permit. Yeah. Um, they emailed it to me, and I had to carry it. The second time and subsequent times, that they they just needed to be told over the phone, mm-hmm. and they were just noted on your file. But it's been quite some time, so who knows what it is now. But yeah, good to get yeah. that that uh, experience from you. You're obviously doing it a lot, or were doing it a lot. I was. It always helped when I turned up in my Australian shooting uniform because then they they actually yeah. knew that I was. Yeah. yeah, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> well, let's, we'll have to make sure we're all uniformed up, fellas. You can go for against you though. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that's that's probably right. I'll go to the salvos. See if I can find them. <laughs> Old, old track suit says if you've got a double s double a shirt that might help <laughs> give it a fly give everything a fly yeah and and traveling with ammunition you said you, you generally would buy ammunition i guess we'll be given ammunition at your destination but have you traveled with ammunition in the past because obviously we're going to be taking that do you have any tips on on ammunition yes traveling? so it used to be up to five kilos um again don't quote me because i haven't done it in a long time but it used to be up to five kilos, which was always a little bit of a running joke amongst the Australian team because pistol and rifle, obviously five kilos of pistol and rifle ammunition, you get a lot more than five kilos mm. of shotgun ammunition. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's five boxes and I'd chew right. through five boxes in like session. So right. <laughs> it, was, it was pointless at that time to even bother travelling with ammo. But for pistol and rifle, it was always worth it because – some countries we'd go to or some places, you know, the ammunition would be threefold in expense. Um, and, yes, we would have to buy our own ammo. Mm. Um, so it was always better for the pistol and rifle crew to travel with their ammunition. So I'm pretty sure it's still five kilos. Um, and if you are travelling with ammunition, you nearly always have to get a permit. And I'm fairly sure with Qantas you have to get a permit with ammunition as well, being an explosive, um, mm. just not with the firearm so yeah virgin will require you to probably get a permit if you're traveling with ammo but just give them a call it's always yeah. easier just to okay. ask a question we had a, an interesting experience traveling uh, again to new zealand uh, so when you fill out your your forms that you've got to put in x amount of time in advance um you know you've got a with with rifles it's x rifle manufacturer description of rifle mm. plus i have this scope description of scope mm-hmm. plus i have one box, 20 rounds ammunition, and they're going on a hunting trip, that's plenty, right? And you normally got your new box of ammo, and, you know, that's what you write on your paperwork. Um, once you've come back from New Zealand and you're coming back through to Australian Customs, two rounds missing because you might have shot an animal, um, you no longer have one box, 20 rounds ammunition, they confiscate the rest. It's no longer an accurate description, they just took it. Yeah, that that does make sense. It's just dumb. Don't even get me started on the international <laughs> travelling with firearm. I first started travelling with my firearm internationally under the age of 18. So you can imagine being oh. a minor on a minor's <laughs> permit, trying to go to a World Cup. Um, and the gun was technically not owned by me. It was owned by my father because I legally couldn't, you know, I was under 18. So the paperwork when I went to my first mm. junior World Cup was like I had a folder with me. It was like two inches thick. For How nervous were you? Oh, I was – it was shocking. And, and particularly at that time, the sportscape within 
the international, well, the Australian shooting body for that discipline was changing guard. So we actually travelled to a Junior World Cup without a coach. Mm. With There was one mm. adult that travelled with us. And the only reason why she was travelling with us is because she was a jury member for the competition. She wasn't actually in official capacity for the Australian team. So they sent five juniors to Germany without a coach <laughs> or a team manager or um, anything. They sent, like they a sent five, they sent five <laughs> arm kids to the <laughs> Australian arm kids. It's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. thankfully the lady that we were travelling with, um, she's fantastic. She she was all across it because she used to be a competitor as well. So she acted as our team manager basically. Um, but, yeah, it was it's a lot because you're talking about those import and export documents mm. and – my father wasn't travelling with us, the owner of the gun, so he had to legally hand over the ownership of my firearm to the lady that was travelling with us for them to accept, you know, that they were the responsible adult, the licensed adult um, for the firearm. So, yeah, it, it's, it was hard. Um, and then that wasn't even the worst of it. When I was newly 18... I made a team. I was the only shotgun competitor to make a team for World Uni Games, which was in Alain in the UAE, to about an hour out of Dubai. And because I was the only shotgun athlete, I got sent by myself. Um, mm. Pistol and rifle team arrived three days later. I had no coach, and they lost my gun in Dubai Airport. <laughs> no. <laughs> So I'm an 18-year-old blonde female running around Dubai Airport asking where my gun is. <laughs> it, it, I got, like, it, it was probably the worst experience of my life. Um, you know, I had all my paperwork in line. It was lucky I did. I had it all printed with me in a folder. And I'll never forget calling home, being like, I'm going to get arrested because, you know, I've lost my firearm in this country and I don't want to be arrested in this country at the best of times. Um, so, yeah, I ended up being escorted to the police station inside the airport and questioned and held there until they found my firearm. Um, yeah, that was the worst moment of my life. And then I I had a man waiting for me to take me to Alain, which is over an hour, to drive me to Alain. I had no contact information for him. It was four and a half hours later. I didn't know whether he was there still waiting for me. Mm. I just didn't know. It was – anyway – I got my gun back. The guy was waiting for me. It was all good in the end. But yeah, it's that's just one one of many stories. It's 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 a nightmare. But the key to that is is make sure you have your paperwork in order very early on and you travel with it because it, mm. things get lost in translation. Yeah. And transit. Yeah. Did you ever find out what happened to it? It just. Oh no! It just turned up. It was like just I think turned I was around like, on the carousel. <laughs> well, they ne they don't come out of the carousel uh, most unless, of the time. Unless you're going to Darwin, to, right? <laughs> or Germany. I've had it come out in the carousel in Germany. Um, but it just turned up on the desk in the police station. I saw my red gun case and I was like, that's it. <laughs> Thank God. It wow. was, yeah, it, it was stressful. And they, they didn't know very, they didn't know English, much English. And I was trying to communicate that I was there for an, a competition I had no official with me. Yeah, it was it was tough. But I had the paperwork, I had the invitation for the competition, I had the details and all of that and the temporary licence that you get for firearms in the UAE. So 
luckily it worked out but yeah mm. it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life <laughs> to say well, the least. all right so for all of the um up and coming uh female hopeful shooters to come to your team um be on Gemma's team <laughs> like at least have Gemma as a coach she's been there done that understands how to how to get away from the UAE authorities. That's oh, good. Yeah, it's it's a good tip because I called home and um, at that time I was, I still am very good friends with Susie Baluk, the Olympic gold medalist from Athens. And aside from calling my dad, I called her and I said, Susie, what do I do? And so she was the best little-headed um, person to speak to because she advised me. She knew where the little police office was in the airport. Like, she just knew everything. So that was very handy. So, yes, if anybody ever needs any advice or help, in their, if they're ever in that situation, feel free to call me because <laughs> it's well, stressful. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully our trip to Darwin's not as well. <laughs> <laughs> like that. No, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, I had I, – my, when my trip was up there, so they don't, they don't come out on a carousel there. They actually come out in a cage – um at darwin when we went up there anyway and the the guy at the cage just opened the cage for people to come and get firearms and other items that were in there it was just like the oversized baggage area yeah and he was supposed to be checking off tickets but i i had already gone and got um two firearm cases and yeah. one of the guys bows and i was taking each item to him and he was looking after them and when i got the final bow case he asked to check my tag yeah. so mate you're serious I've already taken two firearm cases and a bow, and you want to check this one? Oh, oh yeah, no, don't, don't worry about it. So I guess off we went. Um, yeah. But it is a it, bit Wild Westish, but You'll be fine in Darwin. Like, it, it oh. is inconsistent everywhere you go. And even if you go to the same place multiple times, it's inconsistent. So same when you go to the desk to start with. Um, so, yeah, just always make sure you know the protocol yourself, and then you're pretty well good to go um, for that reason. Yeah. That's good. Cool. Yeah. Good bit of advice. Very yeah. cool. But that's the same with any kind of travel because I, when we go to England, I have an expedition bag. It's normal luggage when it leaves Australia. When it gets to England, it's not normal luggage anymore. And that's because they've just decided that, no, we don't like to lift that heavy bag. That's now oversized. So, you know, getting it there is no problem. Getting it home, we've got to double check it in and all that stuff. Mm. So... The inconsistencies are they're, they're consistently inconsistent around the world. <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's let's wind back some time. Um, <laughs> how how did you get into shooting to start with? So obviously you've been doing this for some time now, but did this was this something that your family was always into, or did you pick this up through a friend? What what what's the Gemma story from getting into into shooting competitively or shooting in general? Well, it's actually a really interesting one. I'm not that cookie cutter. My dad shoots, my grandfather shoots, or it's nothing like that. So I grew up in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney in New South Wales, and that is predominantly an area where you wouldn't come across many shooters. <laughs> Let's just say that. It's a um, beautiful part of the world to grow up in, but it certainly doesn't, yeah, you don't run into many shooters up there that you know of. Um, so I originally got into shooting I was playing baseball at an Australian level for a while and I was getting sick of it so dad and I went on this little quest to try and find a different sport for me basically um and I tried wow. all different sports and it was like, just like what, what, what did you discuss um 
dad's a huge golfer he's actually a very good golfer and I tried golf and when the ball hit my big toe twice and went backwards um I think I'd scratch that one off the list so I just stumbled across shooting we we went to um a holiday park at Christmas time and I was riding my bike around as a 13 year old girl just picture this 13 year old girl just riding a bike around and there was a group of other friends other girls um riding their bike around and I just kind of interacted with them and made friends long story short both those girls have fathers that are olympians um in clay tiger shooting so clive barton and tom turner so clive is skate shooter and tom was double trap so they were just camping we just became really good friends and hearing their stories i was like dad i want to give this a go like that sounds fun so Tom took me to a Beretta Open Day at Newcastle Gun Club um, and Russell Mark was there and Michael Diamond was there and they did exhibition shooting and I had like five shots of an old Moroku, had a leather jacket on, like old Moroku, I was a 13 and a half year old female like, and I hit, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many targets I hit, probably one or two, but I was hooked like from there um so yeah try shooting is really how I got into it Mm. the whole way home from Newcastle which is a two-hour trip I just couldn't stop talking about what type of shotgun I was going to get for my 14th birthday (laughs) (laughs) much to my mother's dismay because she we we weren't a shooting family My, my dad was in the navy so we had a little bit of experience with 22s but that's about it so yeah so I just got into it from there um and it was immediately into the sports side of things so I'd never been hunting or knew anything much about hunting none of my family were hunters or anything like that so we went straight into shooting sports um and clay target I started you know just trialing different things skate trap all that anyway I found my discipline absolutely loved it developed from there um and it was just a fantastic thing to do with my dad like he got his license as well obviously so so I could start shooting and we just went every weekend to the gun club different comps um camping regional New South Wales interstate local like it's just some of the best memories I have spending time with my dad which discipline did you choose first um I was this down the line just trap yeah down the line so I actually initially wanted to do skate um, and I bought a sporter. I, my first gun was a Beretta Silver Pigeon sporter um, because I wanted to do skate. But then I heard down the great, along the grapevine, and me being me, I wanted to always look way too far ahead than what my abilities were. Uh, so I, w- I heard on the grapevine that they were looking at removing skate from the Olympics for women at that point. So I literally changed my discipline so that I could potentially go to the Olympics one day. Um so I picked up trap instead, still used my sporter, won national titles with my sporter at trap nationals in Roma in 2009 um, as a junior. And yeah, it just kind of went from there and then changed to a trap gun um, and just evolved through down the line, got into double A grade, shot that for a while and then decided I wanted to give IWSF trap or Olympic trap ago, mm. and that was the that end of it. So much harder, but yes. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I tried whoa, whoa. Olympic trap. 
oh i was like how how am i going to hit any of these it's ridiculous um but yeah so it's a really different story to what many would expect um and that's why i'm so passionate with my work in terms of using try shooting and using experiences like that to mm. engage with the public um who have not shot before um, using that as a tool to engage and to teach more about our sport and, you know, less of the stigma that re revolves around our sport. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I think um, trap is one of those things that it's just so much fun for a beginner, for a learner, um, even now my work world, you know, I mean, I've been in a sales environment all my life and, you know, you think of the typical sales Friday, you'd take a customer out for a steak and a beer. We'd take them down to the, the gun club without them knowing. We'd just say, oh, make sure you've got enclosed shoes. We'd take them down to the gun club and we'd just do 25, you know, over a lunchtime and have a chat and they'd just come away with the biggest grins on their faces, having never shot a gun in their lives, um, just going down and doing that. That's how um, me and a friend got into it years ago. It was a... a a work competition we won a you know a sales competition and we, we got to decide what activity and someone put their hand up and said let's go try trap shooting so off we all went as a group and we just, two of us got hooked on it uh, exactly the same so we got hooked on it we joined the club on we went down on the friday we joined the club on the wednesday we shot competition on the saturday uh, yeah we went real good at it at that point but we were just in and same we went the, the silver pigeons Yep. And and just did that for ages and graded up and went through and then Olympic track probably defeated us a little bit, but that's okay. It's another story. <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's exactly right. That that pure joy that you get. And I think um out of all the disciplines, like I, I immensely enjoy shooting my rifles now. I'm I'm not I haven't dabbled too much into the pistol world purely because it just seems too hard basket for me in my life at the moment. A shotgun and rifle are, are good um good enough for me to take enough of my time but um I really think the fact that a clay target is so reactive and you get that immediate yeah, the, the response visual. yep the visual and that immediate satisfaction or not um is mm. what really lends to being so addictive straight away um and you look right back to I don't know I never had that experience in Australia but I have done it overseas is you'd go to a carnival and you do a gallery shoot and you see the targets flipping down and you know that would hook kids and it's always so exciting that reactive mm. type of visual so I really try and incorporate that into my try shooting events whether it be shotgun or rifle or pistol um, in some way I make it entertaining and reactive for that element so that you know people get hooked pretty quick um yeah and while I was at uni, I did um, corporate shooting days with Susie Balog. That's how I got such a good relationship with her. Um, I worked for her and we did, you know, team building days and birthday parties and bucks parties and all that sort of stuff. And it was some of the most fun just teaching mm. people to shoot and seeing their face when they hit their first target, like seeing that pure oh, my God, I actually did that, you know. Yeah, take my money, I want more rounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> seeing, seeing the hooks go in as soon as I hit their first mm -hmm. target um, is something that still brings me pure joy, even just remembering um, to this day. So it, it's, a, it's a great way to get people into it, for sure. Awesome.
actually. Yeah. So the, the try shooting days that you you do them for double Yeah. So we're piloting a program at the moment um, to sort of the plan is that there's a lot of clubs and branches around Australia within the double that do offer you know open shooting open try shooting or or um, try shooting days and the main thing is it was alluding to a lot of volunteer burnout for a lot of clubs because they would do the big ones mm. where you get 300 people through in a day and once a year and the problem with that is people that the participants wouldn't spend enough time on each sort of station or, or whatever to develop that interaction with a range officer or their coach or, or whoever it felt very impersonal and a bit like a production line um and as a result the gain you get from a membership or from people joining the sport was quite low um in comparison to the amount of people that attended on the day so uh, we're piloting a program at the moment to actually make these try shooting events smaller like the group smaller so maxing them out at about 20 and spending a little bit more time with each person before they move on to the next level or the next activity. Um, and so we've really found that that approach means that you'll actually get more people engaged, more people coming back to the range to join up or bring their friends or or whatever, you know. Um, so we're piloting that program at the moment. It's working really, really well. Um, it worked really well in Victoria and as such, Victoria, AAA Victoria have now launched their Women on Target program um, on the base of their own work, plus some of the work I did with them in terms of the program structure and, you know, the, the session plan. Um, and so they've, they're running that this year and it's been really successful. So the idea is to bring that into each state in their, in, in their own way, because every state's at a different level. Um, so yeah, to try and tailor it to each state and work with each state on delivering a state-based try shooting program to drive membership and engagement within the community. Yeah. Cool. And and that's shotgun, rifle, and pistol. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes I'll actually run shotgun and rifle at the same time and then offer a, a pistol session the the next day. Um the, I haven't done too many pistol ones, just purely surrounding, like we're piloting the session planning at the moment. So whatever we do with rifle, we can definitely replicate it with pistol. Um, but yeah, we're, the plan is to offer all disciplines. And um, the idea is it's a two-hour session. You cap it at 20 people. You have three two-hour sessions over a day. Um, so 10 to 12, you know, 12.30 to 2.30 and then 3 to 5 p.m. And so you have 20 people max per session. And you start the session off with some general basic instruction. Safety is a huge one. Um, and they start them off generally and then slowly increase the level of difficulty um, and in, incorporate some competition or some reactive targets or something like that to really draw them in. And then they start asking more questions and they become more engaged with the equipment they're using and how to get into the sport. And then you cap it off with a really fun activity like a group competition or a, um, 
a knockout competition or or there's all different different ways to do it so yeah so that's that's really like the whole point of the try shooting program um we are moving it to other states i I started working with queensland last year before all the lockdowns happened we had a really successful event where we did shotgun one weekend and just ran shotgun and then I stayed up there and then we did rifle the next weekend. So it really depends on what the club wants me to do and what suits them best is how I tailor it. Okay. That Was that at, at Belmont? No, we did that out at Ipswich. All right, Ripley? Stuartdale, yeah. Yeah, Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great facility out there. It was a lot of fun, um, the team out there. So obviously working with lots of different people within Ripley, um, yeah, they were all really good. All the ROs were really good, had a great time. We got quite a few members from that event. Um, yeah, really successful. We had lots mm. of fun. It's actually this time last year, so keen to get back up to Queensland now that we're um, we're back open. Yeah, that's my that's that's it's not my local range, but that's the range that I always go to, um, especially for rifle. But I do some clays there as well. So, yeah, it's an, it's an awesome property. Oh, it's fantastic. And their plans yeah. for that property. Yeah, it's looking good. It's looking really, yeah. really good. Yeah, they're yeah. doing they've, they've done a really good job. They've really fixed that place up in the last 12 months. It's looking great. And they're running really? it very, very, very smoothly. Yeah, Adam, who's the new, I think, yes. the chairman. He was the secretary. He's now the, the chairman or whatever he is out there. He's doing an awesome job, absolutely awesome job. Yeah, yeah. I worked with Adam quite closely and with um, Brett Chamberlain for the shotgun. Mm side of things and yeah they, the, really the, the shotgun layer has been completely changed pretty soon i think yeah <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's going to be completely redesigned so it's looking great yeah. yeah i love it out there i prefer it to belmont it's not as busy and it's a good little spot a lot and of little... people do um it, it's still got that kind of club vibe to it like it's um whereas belmont's fantastic if you want to just go and have a few shots and you know get it out of the way and but it's just an entirely different thing um Whereas Ripley is very much, or Stuart Dale, is very much that club. It, the committee are really friendly. Everyone's really friendly. I mean, Belmont is too, but because it's less people are there at the one time, it certainly feels a lot more intimate and you can get more one-on-one -on -one time um, with an RO or someone there to help you if you really need to. So, yeah, it's a good environment. So the transition to rifle, are you um, – going to have another crack at international or is this a different type of uh, focus um no i just i just enjoy shooting rifle it's just something that within my friendship group we've all started developing a bit more of an interest in rifle um i think it stems from the fact that it is so different to the world of shotgun and mm. i enjoy that i'm able to differentiate between you know if I go to a shotgun range, I still feel like I should be more competitive than I probably am, um, even though I haven't practiced or anything in a while. Whereas rifle, it's such a clean slate and I can just enjoy it and enjoy the process. Um, I do enjoy shooting a bit of a longer range though, like anything from 300 meters to 800 meters is more what I really enjoy shooting. I really enjoy trying to work out, you know, wind and, and all of that sort of stuff because it's so different to what you do with shotgun so mm. um yeah so i just like to tinker with that a little bit i don't get get out as much as i like to i would like to but don't we all <laughs> mm. yeah sure yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so yeah. 
It's good. I mean, it's raining every day of the every, every day of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it it is hard. Um, I do enjoy going. Like the range I probably enjoy going to the most is out at Malabar. Um, it's such a great place to shoot in Sydney. Um, but yeah, the wind is shocking there. Being on a headland next to the sea, mm. <laughs> it always offers up some some good challenge. Mm. But yeah, and obviously getting into hunting a little bit too. Um, I I started hunting with a shotgun, um, and then we progressed. Obviously, once we got into rifle a little bit more, I met my fiance. He's really into rifle shooting, so we do go out to a property and and do a little bit more shooting with the rifles these days. So yeah, I just tinker now. I don't really compete anymore. <laughs> and. Ha- for those who don't know, the rifle that I work with, Beretta and SSAA, you did the same. Mm. So you have your, which looks completely different to the one I did. So Which is the point, right? We were meant to highlight the, point. That's right. the fact that you could customise your rifle That's to suit right. you. And they yeah. look, they look very different. <laughs> there's no, there's no way you're going to say, oh, these are the same thing. Look at those. No, not a, not a chance. So are you using that one? Yes, I actually um, have used that more frequently in the last, since since we finished doing that article than anything else. Um, so I initially took it to Silverdale Range to do the review um, for it, and it actually garnered a lot of interest at the range purely, I think, because of the stock that I chose. So I chose a Boyd's at one stock. Um, for those who don't know, it's a fully adjustable stock where it's it's a push-button mechanism, so you can adjust the length of pull, you can adjust the cheek piece, you can adjust um, the palms, the size of the of the palm swell in it, all of that sort of stuff. So it, I, I built it with the idea in mind that most women go to the range with their partner, their husband, their dad, or or, or someone else who doesn't who isn't the same frame as them so a a male counterpart they often go to the range with so and I get a lot of questions in my line of work of can you share a gun like some people don't want to buy separate firearms for their for themselves and then a separate one for their wife it might not be in their budget so I chose the stock because it's a great opportunity to kind of combine the two um Mm. so I actually went to the range with my fiance he's six foot tall um broad-shouldered and I'm probably you know I don't even know what my height is um but I'm obviously shorter than him female frame so I really wanted to highlight that this gun can be used for either or and it's very easy to switch in between whilst you're at the range with that push button mechanism so that was the whole point of why I built the rifle um yours was a lot different though you you had the the, the hunt in mind more than anything. Yeah, well, it, I, I, to be honest, after listening to your description, I just had me in mind when I built mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, it, is, it is marked that's to it. a T. Absolutely, it's marked. Yeah. Well, I, well, I said, mean, it is left-handed. And that's that's it. I just had me in mind. They said, do you want to build a rifle? I said, yeah. What do you want to build? <laughs> Let me hit it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And I, the only thing I ever and I, I mentioned in the article, my only... Because the nightmare was I built the home mobile, you know. If those of the Simpsons know the home mobile, the story is that uh, Homer meets his long lost half brother, who's this billionaire industrialist who runs his own car company, kind of like you know Elon Musk. 
Homer gets asked to build a car by his half-brother and designs this car, which overnight wipes out the whole company, destroys it. It's so bad, it designed everything. And what he did was he built this thing that had everything in it. He said, like, there's, there's one line, he goes, who doesn't need 10 cup holders and things like that? So <laughs> he wipes out the company. And you can look up, there's a picture. You just type in Homemobile, you'll see it. It's this thing kind of, it's kind of like the, the cross between the Batmobile and the hot rod. So it's got a bubble. I wonder if we can influence got, Wikipedia so that it's it comes a, it's up got with a, Mark's it's, rifle. I think even he's, I think it's even got like a, the arrow with the fox tail on it and stuff like that. But basically, it wipes out his brother's company overnight. And I so that was my don't build a homeobile, don't build a homeobile, don't build a, that's the only thing that I ever thought about. But no, listening to your description, you're you thought a lot more about other people than I did. <laughs> build my hunting rifle. That's it. The the main reason why I did though is because I. I have it in mind that I'm going to take the rifle to these try shooting days that I do. So a lot of the try shooting days with rifle that we do are with 22s because it's a nice, easy rifle to get people acquainted to. There's no recoil involved, you know, all of those things. So I thought if I built this rifle to be fairly adjustable, um, more suited for a bench, then I can take it as a bit of an exhibition rifle. And if anybody wanted to give it a go at a bigger calibre, then they could. So that was the, the main... What, what calibre did you choose for that rifle? So I chose 243 because I didn't want to... I wanted to build a little bit of a hybrid in terms of I could still take it out on a property and hunt with it. So it is a varmint, but I got the barrels fluted to take a little bit of weight out of it. Turns out I didn't take that much weight out of it, but um, that was just just a whole thing of me just trying something new. Mm. Um, and so I wanted it to be a hybrid rifle in its entirety, whether it fit a male or a female, whether you use it on a bench or in a you know in a hunt. Obviously, it's it's nearly impossible to do is build mm. a hybrid rifle, but. Um, the main focus was, you know, using it on a bench with the odd occasion to take it out in the field. So yeah, I chose two four three for that. Mm. For that and and get, taking consideration of others, I chose chose a short barrel through L eight <laughs> just to just to help others along with a muzzle brake on it. There's no muzzle brake. No muzzle brake. I want a muzzle brake on it. I want to see the plane. Just to piss everyone else off. <laughs> I want to see it. You're going to be that guy at the range that, that nobody is wanting to shoot. It was like, you. oh, Mark's with that guy. That guy. I want to lose my night vision in just on that afternoon light as the flame rips out of it. Boom. Okay, I can't see that. Yeah, you're probably yeah. not going to. No, so too. other other than um, other than being able to um, build that rifle, Gemma, um, I mean, what a, a hell of an experience. We talked about this with Mark. What a great experience to be able to go through the thought of putting that together. Um, now that you've put it together and you've tested it and you've reviewed it and you've done everything, would you do the same thing again? What would you change on the rifle now that you've had some time with it? Did you get anything wrong? I, or do I, something different? Yeah. No, I, I do really enjoy the rifle. The only thing is, is the stock... It's very square in its edges. I don't know if you've seen a photo of this stock, but it is very square. So the ergonomics of this stock could be improved, um, but the functionality of the fact that you can adjust it so easily, it kind of negates the fact that it's so square. You know, it's just a bit more usable. So, no, I actually was really impressed with the rifle. I was really impressed with the build process. Um, I was a little bit taken aback that, 
it was still so heavy, but that's fine because it was mainly you. It's going to be mainly used for target shooting anyway, so it just means you can shoot it a bit more um, and enjoy it a bit more. So yeah, no, I'm pr- I'm very happy with it. It it was a simple build for me. I didn't put too many technical th- thought into it. I wanted to make it obviously fluid so that it can be used for lots of different ways. So I think I think it worked really well. No, I just think Boyd's would do well with making the stock a little bit more ergonomic and it really frustrated me. It's something like was really niggly, but with the adjustables cheek piece, um, if you left the cheek piece up for my setting being high cheekbone female, if you left the cheek piece up, you couldn't actually take the bolt out. So you had to remember the height of the cheek piece on the notches Um and then drop it, and then take the bolt back. It's a bit fiddly yeah. that way. Mm. But I, I don't had know a you can get around with that. I had a Colt M2012 um, rifle, and it had the same concept that the cheek piece was just. But yeah, once the cheek piece was on, the bolt wasn't coming out. Yeah, yeah. which I yeah. thought was a weird design, but anyway, you get used to these things. Yeah, and it was good. Like they'd obviously thought about that because they have notches in the shaft of the cheek piece. Um, to, so that you can remember you were three notches up, basically, yeah. next time you put it up. So it's just these little things that, you, like you say, you get used to. Mm. But, yeah, no, overall the rifle's good. It's great. Fun to shoot. <laughs> Excellent. It's the main thing. Yeah. 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 I had to be shooting mine on Friday. Oh, very good. I'm taking it for a walk on Friday afternoon. Very good. I'm yet to take mine out for a hunt, so that'll be good. Mm. Yeah. That's it. Well, I mean, it, yeah, that's certainly a different. When when do you get a chance to do that? I always think that's the final test. When when you when you don't have those um, you don't have the ability of having a bench or something like. When you get into the non-controlled environment, that's when it really gets down to the, to to um to to you know to testing the rifle. So I managed to take. I've already taken a deer with that one. Mm, nice yeah i would agree i mean even though the rifle is mainly set up for um target shooting it it obviously has the certain elements in there that i factored Mm. for hunting so it would be great to test those out for sure um when i don't know though (laughs) i don't know planning a wedding so things things are busy (laughs) yeah well well you can always plan it into your honeymoon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds yeah, good funny, to me. <laughs> funny you say that. The weekend uh, after our wedding is a two-day shoot in Corindai that I haven't missed in ten years. So mm. we may be honeymooning at a field and game <laughs> field shooting. Well, there's a there's a little bit of advice coming your way then. That's set the benchmarks early. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put those things on the calendar. Yeah. Oh, they're on. They're on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I met I met Michael through shooting. We both shot in Olympic trap. Um, so my, yeah, it'll be kind of fitting if we do honeymoon at a gun club. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. No, that's good. Um, so just to switch in topic then for a second, um, always interested to understand the, the, the female side of shooting and hunting and rifles and guns and you know everything that goes around with it. How are you seeing the sport? What shape is it in at the moment? And do you find that you're attracting more women shooters into the sport? Is it, I'm really keen to understand whether it's growing, shrinking, 
what people need to do better, what we can do more, not just SSAA, but in general, those sorts of things? Yeah, so um, to answer your question in regards of whether it's growing, it definitely is, which is a really, really good thing. Awesome. Um, so for from a SSAA perspective, um, our membership growth for women since 2018 when we've focus started focusing on on this aspect it has grown at a rate faster than any membership growth rate we've ever had before so it's really positive to see um it's growing yeah it's it's going really really good it could obviously always go better because we've still at a national level got a female membership base of around 11 percent and mm women make up 50% of the gene pool really well, generally. Um, so we could be doing a lot better, um, but it is certainly promising the growth rate that we've seen to, since 2018. The way we can continue to improve that, it's it's a really, it's a really tough thing to kind of pinpoint a select few th- things that we could improve upon. Overall, I think the culture surrounding shooting um, has gotten better and we're seeing the membership growth as a result. But from from a general community perspective, it's I think we could all do better in terms of understanding the differences between the way a female and a male might actually shoot um, and the differences between how our, our bodies are um, mm. on a gun you know, just, just basic things like that. Like I said earlier, I have a higher set cheekbone than, than Michael. Um, and most women have higher cheekbones than men. So the, the, the distance between our shoulder and our cheekbone is a lot higher. And we don't, we didn't have a lot of rifles that catered towards that or shotguns or anything that catered towards that until recently, we're seeing a shift in the market where a lot of manufacturers are now starting to make rifles built for women or um predominantly for women so yeah so there's things like that the the manufacturers are certainly helping they're they're helping with a choice of firearms like i said um but at a range or at a community level i think we can just improve upon how welcoming we are Mm. at 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 a range and it's tough because sometimes you can be overwhelcoming <laughs> and then other times it can be really intimidating um, for a female at a range or, or, or any new person going to a range, it's intimidating. So I think we've really just got to learn how to read a situation, um, how to read a person's body language, whether they're comfortable, whether they're not, whether they're introverted, whether they're extroverted, and really try and just adapt and spend time with them and understanding them. So if you are taking someone new to a range, really try and work out a bit of a game plan before you go, um, have a chat to them, see where their comfort levels are and what they're keen to try. So some people might not want to deal with the recoil and they're just happy blinking away with a 22. And a lot of the time in the past, they might have been forced to try Mm. um, a higher calibre and that may result in scaring them away. So things like that, just really trying to understand the differences in people's approach to these things. Um, and, yeah, the, the main thing is is in our country 
and in a lot of countries around the world, women get introduced to shooting through males in their life. It's it's a it's a more common fact than than we realize. So I think I think as as the male side of um, the picture, we sh- we should un- you should try and understand these physicality differences um, as much as you can. So in women's shooter magazine. The, the whole idea of the magazine is not just for ladies who read the magazine. It's actually got practical pieces in there that men could read to help the ladies in their life get into shooting. Um, so that's really what the whole point of it is because if we just pitched all our ideas to 10% of our membership base, it wouldn't the message wouldn't go far. So we have mm. to really be inclusive of that, you know, from a male perspective and how we can help you guys understand what we need um, at the range or or shooting. So it it's a really hard topic. Like I could go for hours and I'm trying to summarise it in a really short way. But um, simple things like, for example, about 80% of women are cross-dominant in their eyes. This is just a general ex- one example. And what that means is we can be right-handed but our left eye is dominant. And there's no real explanation for this other than it's a genetic thing, um, but there's no explanation as to why we're cross-dominant. It just seems to be more prominent in women. Um, so a lot of people don't actually know this as a fact, and it impacts a lot of us. I'm right-handed and left-eye dominant. So this impacts on my sight picture, on my mm. acquisition of a target, on how you know how I move to a target, all of these things. And when you're a beginner, um, it's really important to identify this early on so that you can either so that you can tackle it however you would like you can there's lots of methods to shooting with cross dominance which I cover in one of my articles in women's shooter so that is more aimed at generally speaking a man bringing their you know wife girlfriend daughter whoever into the sport and it's, it's a problem that doesn't impact many men. So many men don't even know about it, but it's a huge thing that impacts women. Mm. But that's the whole reason wow. why we're trying to get the message out there that there's these things that we need to be looking for to help, you know, women grow in the sport. So that's really, that's really interesting. You'd understand. I'm gonna, this is going to sound wrong, but you'd understand that, wouldn't you, Mark? I mean, I was going to say... Because you're left-handed, and people would have taught you, <laughs> taught you how to do things the right-handed way of your life. No, well, no, but that, that no. is a really that's, good point. Yeah, and, well, and my wife's left-handed. She's she's absolutely frustrated that everything that you go and learn for the first time, you're taught in a right-handed way. Yeah, and people that are coaching, they, they, if they're right-handed, they don't get left-handed. Doesn't no, no. they can't just try. You can't just become. Well, you can, because um, I, for instance, decided that I would shoot the bow right-handed because I just looked at to my two boys and went, I just won't be able to handle this conversation. <laughs> so I just went, okay. <laughs> yeah, after after many months, I can do it now. But it was incredibly awkward, and I mm. just did it just for them for that reason. But, it, I mean, it's an interesting point that you make about you know, and you, you were obviously coming from the point of introducing women to the shooting sports, but that whole idea of how uh, accommodating the range is, um, 
applies in all all circumstances. I've yeah. been going to Belmont uh, since I was eighteen, so that's some time now. Um, and uh, and I look, I'm a I'm a member of the Brisbane Club. I still got I've still got those little blue cards that they issued. I've got my I think my membership is 322, which shows how old I, you know. It's one of the first blue cards that they issued when they created the Brisbane Club. So I've been going there most of my life. I went there um, with like yourself. I had no shooting background. I literally wanted to try it, and when I had my driver's license, I drove there and started. Um, Maybe because I was left-handed, I was used to not getting a lot of, you know, not not getting a lot of support, and I just kind of went yeah. with myself. Um, and that meant that for many, many years I've made lots and lots of mistakes along the way. But I have seen that time and again that someone – and I've and i tried to help people over the years, you know, and there's uh, about that, that being – being accommodating of someone who's new and who's learning and, you know, and, and obviously um, those physicality uh, complexities that you bring in in regards to, you know, the eye dominance and all that stuff, I, I had no idea about that. So that's really important. But just being accommodating um, and helping yeah. people out is, is, is the greatest thing that you can do to grow the sport. Um, Interestingly enough, I've taken my wife at the time, she's my girlfriend, to the range. And I've been so I've been going to Belmont what well, I'm fifty-four this year. So, so Oh geez. That's how shake me. So, so what's that? I have a kind of a, a twelve turn fifteen Thirty-six years. When I went to Belmont since before that recently, the, the pistol was shot that the pistol range was behind uh it was actually like a, a wire cage. I was never invited in that cage. The first time I took my wife in there, she was invited in that cage. I still had to stand outside. <laughs> they literally said, "Yeah, we don't want you. There you go." And like, yeah, you know, everyone's going, "Oh, here, have try this, try that." She's, you know, had about an hour and a half of shooting every different type of pistol in there, and you know, it, so you get these weird kind of, you know, dynamics happening. I've also seen guys bring their girlfriends out and show off and stick, you know, a thirty thirty against the first time and uh, on the ground and yeah. he it's no longer funny anymore because he dropped it and it's hit the ground and he's all upset. And you think, mate, really, just have a brain. And I've yeah. seen guys, uh, you know, get bad advice and you know, I remember one fellow was out there and and the first first rifle ever bought was a forty five seventy. And after about three shots, he was, you know, he was he was terrified of the thing, yeah. and so you, and every time that happens, you know, we shake our head and go, that's, you know, that, that that's a it's a sad story. But the thing is, that person has lost to the sport, mm -hmm. and more importantly, that person is probably telling other people about how it was unsuccessful for them. So for every advocate, mm. you've got someone who's going, well, I tried it, really sucked, I didn't like it at all, and it was horrible, and blah blah blah. So. You've really got to, I think, take the time to be accommodating to, to definitely and to talk to people. And that and that's COVID a, kind of affected that. It's harder to actually have that cross conversation at the range. Um, yeah, that's one of the one of the downsides that I've seen of all this. It's hard to actually have where people just just chat. Yeah, that that's the 
That's a really good point. And that's the second part of this two-pronged approach that I have within my job at the SSAA. So obviously we have the publications and the women's shooter um, at the forefront trying to educate just on, on general topics, um, both men and women. And then um, the second prong to that is through the try shooting and the coaching element. We're trying to develop a, a structure and an approach to be more accommodating and more professional and more standardised um, to beginners that come to the range, whether they be male, female, juniors, people with disability, whoever, um, just so everybody is on the same page to try and work together in building a better culture and a better understanding of how they should behave towards a newcomer to the sport. So that obviously stems down to clubs and ROs and ranges. Um, but from there, once we get that sort of standard set, it becomes apparent to our membership that this is the way to do it. And then then you would start to eliminate those people that, you know, come to the range and give their friend or whoever the inappropriate rifle or the inappropriate shotgun and you know it doesn't work out so hopefully from the top down we can start to develop a bit of a, a more sensible culture and a more sensible approach to being accommodating at the range um and doing that by building in a bit of accreditation or a little bit of education um is the the main way to to go about it and i think once we get that sort of standardization of how to you know, perform or behave um, at a range on behalf of the SSAA, it really helps to remove the stigma and it helps people to understand how to deal with a situation because um, some people out of their best intentions want to help but they don't quite read the situation right. Mm. So so I'm facilitating a program where people can, can learn about these different situations and learn about how to handle them and what the outcome the best outcome is from that so that's going on bubbling away in the background um and I really think that that will just help educate people on how to be accepting it at a range for anyone doesn't not just women so mm. yeah it's really important it's something that we haven't quite done that well in in this country to date um just in terms of a standardization and um you know, helping these rangers understand how to deal with these situations, I think is is really important. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing and it's a long process. But as long as the right intentions there, I think everybody's just started off well. Anyway, really. So, I want to ask a dumb question. If somebody shows up that's um, right-handed, left-eye dominant, how do you deal with that? <laughs> So, like, so so you, you identified early. Yes, yes. That's, I'm so, trying to figure that out in my head. Okay, so the best way to identify someone's eye dominance, that there are lots of different mini tests you can do. Mm. Um, the best one is you can actually stick your finger in front of them. And if you know what you're looking for, it's really easy. But you stick your finger in front of them, you ask them to focus on the end of your finger. And you slowly move your finger in towards them. And and whilst you're doing that, you look at their eyes very closely. One will always move quicker than, than the other in the first instance. 
they'll both go in together, but there will always be one that goes first. Um, alternatively, you can get them to test themselves, and there's this method where this you one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. get them to do the triangle and they bring it towards their face, and they'll naturally bring it towards what I generally, what I, um, they're dominant in. But once you see enough people that are left that are right-handed and left eye dominant or left-handed and right eye dominant particularly in a shotgun setting I, i'll be able to pick up if somebody is cross dominant within two shots because i'll either miss a foot to the left of everything and think their beads are on the target or they just won't be able to track the target very well initially um so there's lots of different tests you can do and i do have a list of them in my women's shooter article. I'm happy to send that to you guys. Um, but the main thing is, is you'll be able to just ask the person feedback on their acquisition. Um, and then you might find that they close one eye immediately to try and work out, you know, their side picture or, or something like that. So, there are a lot of simple t- telling signs and it is really important that you do pick this up as early as you can mm. because you avoid the situation like myself where you're 10 years down the track, you already have made an Australian team and you work out that you're missing a small percentage of targets because of your cross dominance and you didn't know it. So that's a devastating effect on someone's shooting career um, it takes a lot of understanding to try and work that out once you do realise at that point. So it's always better to try and sort it out as early as possible so that, again, in my example, I might have become a left-handed shooter early on and then we would have avoided the situation. So, mm. yeah. So on a, rifle, on a rifle range, if, so, if you've identified that somebody is cross-eyed, dominant, Cross, cross, cross dominant. Cross, yep. cross, cross, cross-eyed dominant. <laughs> Not cross-eyed. Cross-eyed. Cross-dominant. Cross That's how good. Do you, they how, can't. how do you put them in front of a rifle? What is the process then if it's a right-handed rifle and they're left-eyed? How... With rifle, it's not such a huge issue. Um, obviously, with rifle, you want to try and shoot with both eyes open at all times, especially if mm. you're hunting. Um but it's not such an issue if you're using a scoped rifle. It's a different issue if you're using open sights. Um, but your, your eye dominance is predominantly affects your um, depth perception and reading of the trajectory of something. Okay. So it's it's largely more in, it impacts shotgun and moving targets moving more targets. than anything. Yeah. Um, so if you're cross dominant, you do have trouble with reading the the speed and the depth of which something is is traveling at um because your eyes are fighting for the target and your sight picture and it's just mm. all i mean you can like you can shoot successfully with it um kimberly road is cross dominant she's the most successful olympic shooter of all time but it is always better to try and catch it early so you it's not even a factor um but yeah so with rifle it's less impactful if you're shooting, you know, targets or whatever. Um, but once you do kind of work out whether they're left eye or right eye dominant, yeah, I, I would suggest putting them on the rifle, the side in which their eyes are dominant, just to just to make it easier. 
So this has got me really interested because I've got a mate who's got an interesting issue with his shooting. What would someone who is cross dominant cross eyed cross dominant cross eyed dominant what would their target look like? You know, if they're shooting, what what would be kind of oh okay that might explain that if it's a still target. Yep. Nothing. Oh, okay. Like it's not that much. Still different. have, I still haven't cured it then. Okay. I was kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe we figured it out. Yeah, this is this is a really good topic. There's a gentleman, um, Dr. Luke Heans. He's an optometrist, and he um, he's he's in Australia. He lectures at university in Adelaide as well. Um, he comments on this sort of stuff a lot because he's a sports shooter and an optometrist, so it's perfect for him. Mm. But with um, with someone's sight picture, like whether you're cross-dominant or not, you'll always at some point, if your eyes are relaxed, get like a dual vision. Like if you're looking at something, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but if you're looking at something in a distance and something is in front of you, you'll always see kind of what it is and then a shadow so mm. don't confuse that with cross dominance um that's common for everyone but yeah for rifles it's not so impactful and this is probably why you guys might not have heard of it so much because it's not a huge um when yeah, you know it was massive in shotgun when we were when we were shooting shotgun it was always a big thing and you'd get the coaches come down and the first thing they would do would be to test that to make sure that you were set up properly and all of those sorts of oh, things. Oh, lucky like, you. I never had that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Um, but don't you shoot a Parazzi? This was a brutal day. <laughs> no, You've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the end of your barrel. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I had a coach pick it up once I got, you know, a bit too far along. Um, so to negate that, we started shooting using a patch. So not... And you don't want to cover the whole eye because then you lose your depth perception um, with your peripherals. Uh, I could talk about this for hours. Um, but you want to patch the dominant eye, the focal point of the dominant eye, so just like the main point in the middle of the dominant eye where um, it blocks out the end of the barrel. Um, and you were just putting that on your shooting glasses, eh? a little yeah. dot. Yeah. yeah, like a little bit of tape. or You start with a a full like a blacked out tape like a black tape or something and then you sort of get used to that you start quite large and then you sort of get used to it and you make it as small as you possibly can whilst it's still being effective and then you go to like a semi-opaque tape where it's not so obtrusive in your vision it just looks like you know there's a smudge on your glasses basically wow. um, so then it, it makes the other eye yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it forces the other eye to become the dominant and it's important to note that dominance doesn't mean that one eye is stronger than the other it dominance is where one eye just picks up the signal first and the other one backs it up so that's dominance not not as you know not strength or mm. magnification or anything like that yeah and having the tape on your glasses is that legal in competition yeah it is okay yeah i mean it would be preferable to, to not have anything on glasses. Mm. You're kind of hindering yourself more than anything. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's perfectly legal okay. um, as long as it doesn't have branding on it. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I was just wondering if it wasn't sort of, you know, giving you an unfair advantage or something. But, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, no. no. It's... Performance enhancing tape. Oh, no, I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> there was a um, 
I used to shoot full ball, which is, you know, out to a thousand yards with the um, aperture sights. And there was a guy who used to, um, he got found out. He had this little, he was selling the rifle and he put a little for sale tag with a string with a, a, a thin paper tag on the end of his barrel and it said for sale. And what it was, he was trying to create a second little wind measure. He was trying, oh. <laughs> trying to get something that would help him, you know, make sure he was his his rifle was dead straight while he's pointing it. So it was, it was almost like a plumb bob he was using it. And they, there was lots of people saying, Ram was <laughs> So yeah, I said, oh, I've seen I've seen all sorts of those little tricks. Yeah, there are lots of little tricks. And that was a huge thing that we had to um, speak about. So I was operations manager at the Commonwealth Games for shooting prior to my role with the SSAA. And obviously when you're having hosting a large multi-sport event like that, you do talk about these things, what to look for. You, you know, you speak to your tech ops managers and you make sure that, you know, they're across anything new. or so, But, yeah, there's always new and inventive ways to, to circumvent the um, – the rules but another funny thing just on the um cross dominance thing you'll also that i remembered um when a person puts the gun up for the first time you'll be able to tell a lot of the time if they tilt their head mm. as well so you'll be able to see if they're trying to use their left eye or their right oh, eye yeah. if they're pretty straight yeah. then mm. it'll like that's good but if they start going like this then yeah. you know that's that's the one that they're they're looking okay. for and that'll happen on a rifle as well. They're just yeah. trying to basically naturally compensate for it. Yeah, you do. You do. And I, people just don't realise that it's a thing. You know, when you use a camera, do you use this side or this side? You just don't. You just, or, or yeah, you know, spotting scope. Yeah, that's right. It's like that's yeah. facing towards me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. There's some weird and wacky contraptions as well. There's a gentleman in the States that, built a shotgun stock that goes on his right shoulder but it kind of goes over mm, and good, around yeah. and yeah so it's yeah, yeah it's gonna they're absorb. actually they're actually not a, a, that modern invention they no. they've been making those kind of odd things for years but often for injury yeah to compensate for injury you know yeah you see or, or you'll see the scopes kind of hanging you know Three inches off to the left, or three inches off to the right on the on on, on the rifle, all sorts of weird things like that to to try and offset that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, speaking of interesting stuff, um, tell us about on your travels um, with your with your teams and going overseas and and the weird and wacky stuff that you've seen. What comes to mind as just something that was so out there that was hilarious straight away i've got one for you <laughs> yeah i figured you would so, i was in the uae like i said and we i don't know it wasn't official practice so not every not a lot of people were there it was a long time ago now so it, but i so i don't know the specifics but anyway there was this gentleman standing there on the layout and I won't say who he was because, yeah, he was, there was a gentleman standing on the layout and he really wanted to become very good at trap shooting, but he wasn't very good at <laughs> trap shooting. Um, and the reason why I know this is because he had two people, one on either side of him, standing there 
with a rope attached to the end of his barrels to help him pull the gun in the direction of the target. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so he would call pull and the guy on the right or the guy on the left would pull the rope because they saw where the target was going quicker than he did. Suffice to say that he didn't hit many. <laughs> but I, n- I will never forget just standing there with my mouth open going, what? what am I watching right now? And this is just before one of the largest multi-sport events I've ever attended. Um, And I'm thinking, oh, geez. So that was pretty wacky. Um, What else? While you're thinking of those, we'll hit you with a couple of other hard-hitting questions that we ask a few different guests. Uh, On your your travels, um, when you're cruising around the country doing what you do, do you... um, do you drink dollar servo coffee? No, never. <laughs> You're okay. All right, fair enough. I'm a double shot flat white girl. Like, All right. If you're listening, Zach, you heard it here. Decent <laughs> people drink real coffee. I mean, in a pinch, if I have to. Um, yeah, but no. <laughs> no. Fair enough. What was next, Mark? Generally, uh, the is if you ask for ham and cheese... Do you expect tomato or you just want a ham? When you say ham and cheese, do you mean ham and cheese? There's no ham and cheese without the tomato for me. No, there we go. Controversial. You see? You may as well not even order it if there's no tomato. Yeah. And lots of salt on the tomato. (laughs) Just tough. Shut up. How can you eat hot tomato? Hot tomato. It makes half a bit soggy. Well, it depends. It has to be thinly sliced, and and you've got to avoid burning the roof of your mouth. That's that's because it's salted. It has no more fluid left in anyway. It's like, <laughs> true. It's Partially like, like a, yeah. It's like a, you know a dried apricot. In and around your world of uh, competitive sports, what what book do you tell people they should read? Oh, I don't really um. I don't really have one, but what I do recommend people do is, and there'll be other athletes that do this as well, take a colouring in book with you. The only reason why I say this is it's like you're in competition, you're really nervous, um, you got to try and stay in the moment and not think about if I shoot this score, this is where I could end up or, you know, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So between rounds or details or if you've got a bit of downtime the best thing I can do is keep myself focused in the now and just do a task that I can focus on right now and that's what coloring does for me Hmm. or or playing a game on your phone or something like that but coloring is really good because you know you're still moving and you're focusing on the task and you, you don't have time to think about anything else so I reckon yeah take the coloring book for when you're in competition um and instead of reading a book, write a journal because there'll be all sorts of weird and wacky experiences that you'll have in your life and you won't remember them all. Um, so try and write a journal and put the good and the bad in there because it, it's it's a good thing when you're 10 years down the track hmm. and you want to know what life was like 10 years ago and you open your journal and you think, oh, that's right, and 
Yeah, so journal and take a colouring in book. (laughs) There is a long time between competitions, isn't there, when you're at a a shoot day? Yeah, for for our discipline, um, a round would take between half an hour and 45 minutes, but you would be one squad of, like, 20. So you'd you'd have an hour or two between each round um, Mm. most of the time. So you don't want to be switching off you want you want to still be present um but you don't want to be overcooking it in your brain either so coloring or or playing cards with your friends or something like that but but coloring is really good um and i know letitia scanlon she she likes to color as well so it's just something that keeps you present pretty good cool yeah. oh no I, I, I'm, I'm 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 picturing the coloring in <laughs> well i do heaps of scooby do with my Mark, son at the moment Mark, so Mark. Is Mark's drawing behind him there on the Yeah, I, 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 I do it all the time. I mean, ask Johnny Depp. That's all he's doing during his court case at the moment, colouring. Yeah, yeah so. but he's going to sell it for, like, literally millions of dollars. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> in terms of the journal, it's a good idea I, I, in that that's how I've approached my writing. I've got all the magazines because uh, I kind of think one day when my boys think I'm this, you know, boring old man i can kind of go well hang on i used to to write about really old guns i have (laughs) evidence to the contrary Uh, you'll be writing about the real thing i think i think actually that the idea of a journal for you know and obviously you're talking about from a competitive shooting point of view but from a hunting point of view is 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 um is also you know because Far too many people um, think that it's repetitive, you know, like, oh, okay, I've been here and I shot a deer here. So if I go back there, there will be another deer there, you know, waiting for me type thing. And Being able to actually look at that and go, okay, so each time I've been in this location, it's been different and things like that is is really important. I quite like that idea. Yeah, and the... Great thing is, is um, well, if you're talking about a physical book, I really like Elise Perry's latest book. Um, her, that is basically a journal. She journals about competitive sport, about being a competitor, about travelling, and, like, that is her book, and it's a great insight into a fantastic athlete. So if we're on the topic of journaling, um, and when I say journaling, like, journal your experiences, you know, back at camp, or during the hunt or or whatever but but also have a bit of a performance journal as well so that you can look back and if you find yourself in a bit of a rut with your performance you may go I did this four years ago what did I do to get out of that or or what did we do to change this approach and it saves you going over the same mistakes because you will never be able to perfect your game it Tiger Woods has never been able to perfect his game. As soon as he gets good at something, something else creeps in. Mm. So you've got, like, if you have a performance journal as well, and don't beat yourself up in the performance journal, but just take brief notes um, so that if you do find yourself in a similar situation, you can go back and see how you did to get out of it. Yeah, mm. I hunted with someone who kept a journal about his his hunting day. So in the field, he'd mark temperature, what was the, you know, how, how many clouds were in the sky, um, you know, what were the conditions like, et cetera, so that he could go back and look at every single day that he was in the field. Um, and A, just to relive his memories, but also to try and, you know, find if there's any patterns or or anything like that. And, you know, you could say five years ago on this day it was raining 
and there was a deer in this spot and another day it was raining and there was a deer in this spot maybe there's some correlation between them so it's really important to have that yeah. mark yeah, and definitely. i mark and i talked about that in one of the earlier podcasts i used to keep that information um i still keep some of it depending on the types of hunts i'm going on but um it was time of day if if i saw deer i'd write down what the conditions were if i took a deer i'd write down what the conditions were and there is a correlation around that i keep a journal of the hunts that we go on when, when i go back or well, quite often in the downtime of the hunting trips back at camp i'll sit up in the camper and i'll write my stories that's for my son you know so that when he's old enough to be able to read he can pick up this book of hunting adventures and things that i've done and he can read them and he can go oh, this is great let's let's go mm. and let's go and do that together type thing but i think journaling's good it's a good way to reflect yeah definitely sometimes i look back at those stories and wonder who wrote them <laughs> same with me i go back and i'm like oh you idiot <laughs> <laughs> well, like, oh, no, that, that reads really well i'm not i don't remember writing that <laughs> depends how many whiskeys you had mate. yeah yeah that's right Over oh here's a question okay if we're talking no. whiskey oh yeah what's, what's our favorite whiskey Brandenburg rum oh. <laughs> that's not whiskey it is queenslander just, just um it is whiskey it's just called rum it's just i like Whiskey. I like I like the Larks for Australian whiskies, but um, my favourite current one would be Abelor. Um It's a really it's a really good one. I'm a big fan of that. Um, Delmore also is another one I like. Yeah, I like an an Isle, a nice big peaty strong. Oh, uh, you're my friend. <laughs> that's what I enjoy. Yeah, that's my favourite. <laughs> what What's your favourite Isle distillery? Oh. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I've had a few, but what's yours? I like Ardbeg. Mm? All the Ardbegs. Um, it I'll depends on the day, though. Yeah. Um, and I like Bonnehaben as well. So, yeah. yeah, it's a hard one to to pronounce. But, yeah, I like the PT whiskies as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Very, Very good. good. <laughs> Asking me we... about toasties, and here I am asking yeah. about whiskey. Yeah, well, this is this is the direction the podcast goes. What was, what were what were the other questions that we had on that list of um really hardcore? Yeah, yeah, to you had toasties and coffees. So let, let's talk. Yeah, you had questions for us, which is actually unusual. So we better actually we better actually respond to them. Aside so from we the can whiskey. cut them out if they don't sound good, but let's at least go through that process. Well, yeah, I just wanted to know. Um, how you guys decided to form a podcast you're all obviously buddies from queensland i won't hold that against you but um <laughs> but yeah how did you come across forming your podcast mm. um there's a remarkable uh correlation between what you're trying to do with the try shooting mm -hmm. and some of the key drivers behind what we did so uh ian and i were at a an event and after that event we decided that some action needed to be taken yes and that action went round and round and got bashed around and reshaped and reformed and it eventually landed on on, on this idea of a podcast and um it that's kind of where it started and the intent has always been that and this is an observation of mine, is that there is a lot of, um, if you know what you're doing, there's, there's, there's support for you. 
if you don't know what you're doing, it's incredibly difficult to get started in hunting. Um, yes. Even more so than probably shooting because there's the extra layers on top of it. Yes, definitely. So we wanted to help people get hunting. And one of the ways that we wanted to help people get hunting was, I suppose, through a, a process of building their confidence to have a go. Because one of the big things about hunting is ultimately, unless you go with a uh, a, a paid service um, and so, you know, that's yeah. catered for you, there's a really big you have to have a go component. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you've you've actually got to do it unless you're lucky enough to to have these things already for you and then, you know, you, you don't have that channel challenge. But if you don't have those things, you actually have to have a go. You have to uh, have to apply for a license. You have to you have to you have to travel. You have to be able to um, look after yourself when you travel and all those things. So there's a lot of moving parts, and so the idea was to help build people's confidence that they could actually have a go and explore and and hopefully be successful because you know obviously success in hunting is is one of the great motivators to return. So it was all about how having helping people have a go and it's and it's really about talking at that kind of level and i, I there's a real a, a real simpatico between you know introducing someone to shooting and what we're trying to do is introduce people to hunting yeah that's okay. it you know it's, it's just probably yeah it's, it's like an adjunct to it obviously uh though we we have spoken to people with bows but it's it's more about the process and and Anne and john i will, will will tell you is that we recently um, ran? A, well, we had an event, if you if you want to call it that, and literally people. It was in New South Wales and what South Australia. Yeah, it's South Australia, um, Victoria, New South Wales, had Queensland. There were about twelve to fifteen people came in from all over the place to just come and interact and spend time. They'd listen to podcasts. Some were club members from a, um, an ADA branch that we belong to, but a lot of them came from just being listeners that had approached us uh, post the podcast saying, this is really good. You've told me all about this part, kind of want to put that into practice. How do I go about it now? And I said, well, come along. Well, we're going to public land. You know, this is where we're going to be doing it. If you can get yourself a booking, come and join us in the camp and we'll put it into practice. Um, one of the other things that um, Mark didn't touch on was all of those things about come and try and 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 having a go and um, you know how secretive and difficult it is to get into hunting if you don't know people. It's even harder in Queensland with no access. Uh, if, you, know, you don't just have to go and have a go. There is no public land access in Queensland. You have to know someone who will let you shoot on their land. Yep. And for the majority of people, they they just don't have those connections. If you live in the city, you've probably got less of a chance again. Um, so that became really hard. And it really was um, one of the things that and I may have ruffled a few people's feathers at the time. We were just putting all of our experience and all of our little secrets out into the public domain, saying this is where you can go and hunt and this is what you will find there and this is where you should camp. And basically, here's spot X, go for it. And unfortunately, there's probably a few hundred people that think that that's their spot X, even though it's on public land and, you know, we're blowing these parks out of the water. And it's not the case, but, um, you know, we're just giving everyone a bit more of an opportunity to, to to try and have a go. And the community that's wrapped around it's been fantastic over the last sort of six months. So, yeah, it's really growing. And, and you know, with some of those people who came to the, the event, they'd actually never been deer hunting. No. Never, never, so they weren't like, oh, we're deer hunters, we'll go join these guys. They were like, 
I want to go deer hunting and I live in South Australia. Okay, I'll I'll now drive 20 hours just to 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 talk to people who will actually, you know, give me some advice and say, so that, that kind of, you know, that dedication is, is that the, what we want to nurture, you know, that someone is really going, I'm going to have a go at this because I really want to have a go. And so here's the opportunity. And part, as you will see from a lot of the podcasts, as Ian alluded to, a lot of the, the places are public land in New South Wales, because we, you know, we hunt it in New South Wales. I think about 10% of all our license holders in New South Wales are Queenslanders. And, you know, we said, if you are going to Nundal State Forest, this is how we would hunt Nundal State Forest. This is it. It doesn't need to be secret. Um, this is what, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is the approach. If you're coming from Brisbane, this is the approach. If you're coming from, 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 you know, from the South, this is where we recommend you camp. This is where we recommend you, you go looking for. This is the kind of terrain. This you, is the you, pie shop on the way and where you get your fuel. This is the pie shop on the way. making it as easy as possible for someone to go, yep, okay, I can do this. And because literally we have people contact us and go, okay, so I've done this, this, and this. Um, I don't have a tent. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Let's talk about that, you know, or uh, that, that kind of thing. So we're really starting at that level. So what we're... We're trying to nurture their um. The fun, one, like a... the fun one was um. I'm at this park. I've been here for two days. We haven't been able to find animals. Can you help me? Like they're literally messaging oh. us from the park. I'm like, okay, go yeah. here, park here, look here, go there, over that rock. You should find them. Two hours later, we found oh. them. <laughs> <We're> and, <off. laughs> and and the thing, the funny, the really funny thing is that's completely true. Yeah, We've actually I'm got sick. the text messages of the guy going, yeah, what do we do? Go here. Ah, <laughs> you know, it's like that. So helping yeah, people achieve that is is fundamental to what we do. And that's a, it's like, it's a significant yeah. driving force. Like and, the first clay target busted for us. Yeah, yeah perfect. I was going to say for, for myself, so I'm obviously an immigrant to Australia. So I've, I grew up in South Africa, lived in the UK. I came to Australia and I had no no real information about how to get involved in shooting it was actually through um through mark that i that i got you know i got involved in in hunting in australia um there, but there was just no information out there or not a lot of information out there for people to you know to learn the things that that we're now putting out so that's what we wanted to do i've been through the process i know what it's like i know how difficult it is so i want to relay some of my experiences some of my knowledge and try and help those people so um yeah i'm very you know very fortunate to you know that that ian and, and mark have invited me along this journey to to, to impart some of that knowledge yeah. yeah it's really fantastic i mean it's it to me i'm just thinking when you guys are explaining what you do on your podcast it's like a verbal wiki camps hey, do you guys use wiki camps i don't even know wiki don't camps know. Is. Oh. It's get onto it get onto it because wiki camps is very much like that for camping this is where you go oh, yeah, okay. you used sure, to be sure. hit, used to be hit camp yeah but it's it's very much like that. And when we go camping, we rely heavily on wiki camps. Yeah, but, I've, I've um, got the app. I know exactly what you're talking oh, okay. about. Sure. So it's like that for, for hunting, which which I do agree in the fact that I came into the sport through, you know, a target shooting perspective, but I did develop an interest into hunting. And even to this day, even though I have all of the contacts and all of the um, experiences that I have had so far, I'm still not confident to go on like on my own or instigate a trip which is yeah. crazy that's right right 
So people people do yeah. feel that they don't have the confidence to do it. So and and a lot of us now with um, you know modern age, we can go onto YouTube, we can do a lot of research, so we don't feel like gooses when we show up in front of our peers. You can go onto this channel now and you can say, okay, what's in their packs? What do yeah. I not have in my pack that they've got in their pack that I need to think about? Mm. You know, what first aid kit have they got? What PLBs or you know whatever devices are they carrying? You know, so that's really what we're trying to get out there. So. People can literally go and say, okay, well, I've got all of the things that they said you should probably have. I've mimicked all of the clothing that they wear. Um, I know where I'm going to hunt because they've told me where to go. Now I've just got to go and do it. Do it. Um, and potentially they can do that with us, mm. um, you know, just depending on how things go. But, um, yeah, it's fun to watch people take the information and go and be successful. So much fun. That's great. Uh, that's uh, that's exactly I, – I agree. That's exactly what I get out of my job as well. And across the so across the YouTube channel, we we it's the the library has grown considerably from just a podcast because that's where we started. We started the podcast on YouTube. The podcast is you know this this video format on YouTube, but it's also on the various podcast channels like Spotify. But there's also a lot of information on the uh, YouTube channel that's just about specifics about hunting or gear or anything like that so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to build like a really usable library what they call a wiki i think maybe that's what it is <laughs> maybe that's what it is but anyway google it and figure it out google, okay. yeah. google it mate google it um that's the kind of what we want to create so you can so you, someone can actually kind of go yeah and that's one of the things we we're talking about specifically about the northern territory um uh, we want to we want to do a a, a really a you know a a class act on putting together a video about going not just about the hunt but actually what you do to hunt and you're just i dare say your conversation about traveling with firearms will be part of that definitely that kind of information yeah because that's yeah. part of it yeah yeah and it's a big part like you say you don't know until you go and delve into it yourself so it is great to have people like yourself it's... and what we're trying to do through the association to try and centralize that knowledge a little mm. bit um and and share it because i do understand particularly in a hunting sense that people like to keep these things as their best kept secret and they mm. don't want to impart that knowledge elsewhere and it's the same in competition shooting they don't want to see you be successful because they want that spot all for themselves so it's it's very important that we shift away from that if we're going to push our sport forward and um, and grow it and and be taken seriously because if we're just all keeping our own little bits of knowledge to ourselves, then how how is that helping the next generation? How is that helping people who haven't had family bring them into the sport and different bits and pieces? So it is really crucial um, that we approach things like this. It's actually essential because you know one of the, if you if you look at this from a from a from a wider perspective, one of the best ways is to kill a culture is, is stop it from actually in inter to, to actually happening. So that's what you know that's what time and again, you know, societies have done to other cultures. Stop performing that culture, and it and it disappears and dies. So you want to actually if you want to grow shooting and hunting you have to grow the culture you have to actually get people to participate to learn to discuss to evaluate to actually sometimes to criticize and and to to you know but you actually need that to happen for it to for it to be sustainable so you you do need people to actually 
be willing to help someone, as you said, like try shooting. That's a huge part of it. You need someone, and, you know, and and as more and more people come less and less familiar with that process other than what they see on TV, having the opportunity to try it is 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 invaluable. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what makes things like the show on Netflix media so successful mm. is it's an insight into a world that unless you're part of it, you don't get to see these components of, you know, how hard the hunt is, what elements that you have to include in terms of your approach to the hunt as well as your approach to being on the hunt with your gear and being set up correctly um, and then also how you get to a point where you're confident enough to pull that trigger that you, you're mm. going to make a good shot is is really important as well. So I think it's great. I mean, as a person who probably would like to get into hunting a little bit more, um, it certainly resonates with me in terms of your approach to things. And, yeah, people should really get onto it a lot, a lot more and stop keeping it such a close secret because, mm. like you said, it's crucial to the sport continuing to grow yeah. and to our culture in this country. We, we are hunters. We have been for a long time. That's right. Isn't that the, the, what, the pictures on the wall are, are of people tossing salad. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, look, it's, let's, it's, let's, let's call that a conclusion. That's a really good way to sum up the whole conversation. <laughs> Gemma, uh, we've we've now gone uh, near on two hours of chit chat, which happens real fast. So um, it's been unless there's any other question, guys. Not for me. Uh, no, it's all good. And, gir and girls. <laughs> it's um, all right. <laughs> it's been awesome. Thanks very much for coming on um, short notice and um, and having a good chat with us. Lots of learnings from us. There's lots of advice that we can take away on for our um, our trip up north. And um, yeah, we'll be mm. certain to. Um, Try and keep in touch, and I'd be interested to have a read of some of the articles that are coming out. Um, we're interacting with a lot of new people, and and just some of that thought that goes in behind how to, you know, look after that first contact, that first person as they come in. I think super important for us. So, yeah, yeah it's it's really important, and we cannot stress enough the job that you do when you have the first point of contact with somebody new. You've you've got to make sure that that's memorable and done correctly and also i just wanted to um ask if any of your listeners or any of your fan base that are SSA members ladies in particular if you have any cool stories that you want to share within the australian women's shooter magazine contact us um contact me and we'd love to have you featured in the magazine with any cool stories or tips and tricks that you might have awesome we'll make sure we put that shout out for you yeah, yep. and put that in the description somewhere. Yep, for sure. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's a bit for me. Uh, so uh, anything else, gents, before I sign us off? Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. Well, Jim, thanks for your time. It's been really fantastic. Um, Learned a lot, as always, which is which is a really good part of this. You know, you call it the wiki, but we just call it talking around the campfire, you know. <laughs> and so thanks for your time. Yeah, that's old school. That's it. Thanks no, for thank time. you for I having really me. Really appreciate it. It's really been great. It's been great to be on on the show, and um, yeah, hopefully I didn't ramble too much. But no. we're all that passionate. We can all keep talking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good stuff. Enjoy your evenings. See you later, guys. Thank you. Later, guys. Thank you. See ya. Awesome.